Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1959 Robert Bresson film Pickpocket. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great, Sam. Uh, Barrett, um, let's just, I, I was going to say, I was going to give a little lead up to this in terms of my thoughts, but let's just start with you. Um, can you give me your history with this film and maybe your history with, like, like where does this fit into your history with Bresson? Yeah, so... Um... My history with Brisson, I actually started with one of his earlier films, 1953, Diary of a Country Priest. Um, I was teaching a course in interim, and uh, I came up with the idea, it was on spiritual autobiography, and I came up with the idea of pairing a reading with a film. Uh, and so we read Diary of a Country Priest, the novel, and then we watched the film. So that was the first that I had encountered with Brisson. And I, I, Diary of a Country Priest is a little more conventional in some respects than Pickpocket, so I wasn't quite aware of the Bersonian method. Uh, and then I I read, uh, or I watched Pickpocket uh, when I started teaching film theory uh, and history and realized how significant Bresson was in the history of film. So I did Pickpocket about, oh gosh, about 15, 16 years ago. And then since then, I've watched uh, five other Bresson films. Yeah, I, I will say for me, I went on a real journey with this, uh, with this movie, uh, and I think I, I feel like I'm still on it. Um, I wa- so I, I watched this, I think, late last week, uh, kind of right after you you picked it. And I got to say, my first viewing, I was kind of underwhelmed. Now I didn't know anything about the movie. I'm just I just turned it on and watched it. Um, and I think partially I was on a Wong Kar Wai hangover and it's like, well, this is very different in, in, in some ways. Um, uh, but I kept thinking about the movie, like, and this is, this is where I really think it's great is, 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 is my first, my first sense was to be like, huh, that was it. Huh. And then I, and what's interesting is as I read reviews, I've heard other people have that same thing of like, well, my first sense was this, but it, I couldn't quite get away from it and then i started reading about it and then i watched it again and now i just have a thousand things that i'm thinking about with it which um that in and of itself makes it a pretty successful piece of art if i can't get away from it and i can't stop thinking about it um so uh so i I really ended up enjoying this experience and and thinking through it now i will say i did pick up um on on the first viewing uh there was i don't know probably i mean pretty early on i was like oh this feels like somebody who's a dostoevsky fan (laughs) so i picked up on that and he's dostoevsky is one of my favorite writers um so uh, this and this is the kind of story that i like um so i was i was uh pretty excited about um when when i sort of noticed that of like okay so here's where we're going with this I, i i like these kinds of stories let's sort of see where this is going um what was interesting reading about this reading reviews and commentaries on this um, this movie seems to be open to a lot of different interpretations, um, which I found kind of interesting. And a lot of that seemed to hinge on what you thought about the ending of this movie. I mean, this movie builds to a builds to a a big kind of crescendo at the end, um, and what you thought, what you you think about that. Um, and I was thinking about why this movie, why why I read. S- things going in different directions with this movie. And I realized, um, and we can talk about Brisson's method and especially his directing of actors that he intentionally is directing non-actors to give very kind of emotionally blank performances. And I realized when you do that, one of the powers of that is it, 
it allows you or maybe forces you to be aware of that and maybe paint a little bit of, of your own thoughts and emotions in onto that blank canvas of these actors. Um, and that sort of led, I think leads to some sort of different interpretations or feelings about this movie. Yeah, I think that's, that's right, Sam. I think that, you know, one of the things we should say two things to the start about Brisson. One is we can get into this more later that uh, listeners may recall about a year or so ago, we watched Paul Schrader's first reformed and, Rassan is one of the three filmmakers that Schrader calls a transcendental filmmaker. And you might recall that uh, he sees the sense of transcendence in the form of the filmmaking, not so much in the continent, but although I think that's also here in Pickpocket. But the other thing I think we should establish about Rassan is um, he is in some ways anti-cinematic, that, um, that the things that we expect from cinema are the things that he deliberately doesn't deliver. So you've mentioned already the notion of these he uses uh, non-professional actors, by and large, at least in the leading roles. He never uses the same actor twice. Uh, so you will not see an actor recurring in a Brisson film. Um, and he really resists the idea that um, acting as we normally conceive of it is actually uh, what he wants to achieve. So he says in one of his statements, he says, acting is for the theater, which is a bastard art. So he thinks that one of the fallacies of acting is that somehow the actor can actually reveal what is interior. He doesn't think you can actually reveal what is interior. The only way to find out what is interior, he says, is by having, he has it, he runs his actors through multiple takes until they get to the point where, um, he, he said, he, he called his actors models or interpreters. He says, your models will get used to gestures they've repeated 20 times. The words they've learned with their lips will find, and then he italicizes this, without their minds taking part in this, the inflections and the little proper to their true nature. Um, one more comment about him being anti-cinematic. Uh, in his biographical dictionary of film, um, uh, Thompson says, it might be said that watching Brisson is to risk a conversion away from cinema. Hmm. Uh, so I think if you, you know, so he does, a, he doesn't do a lot of the things you expect cinema to do. And on the other hand, he does things that seem, um, that seem almost redundant. So for example, you will see Michel writing in his diary, giving you voiceover for the very things he's writing. And then he will show you the thing that he's writing about. So like when he talks about going into the bank, He's writing it in his diary. He talks about it, and then Brisson shows him doing it. So that seems like he's tripled this event. And then on the other hand, he doesn't show you things. Like he doesn't show him getting arrested. He doesn't show you stealing the watch and falling down. So he does a lot of things that are kind of contrary to your expectations of a dramatic cinema, and that's very intentional. Yeah, and I will say this uh, this film, if you're a Criterion Channel subscriber, has some great um, great other content, including um, a an introduction to this film by Paul Schrader. Now, I will say Schrader is somebody that um, eludes me somehow. I, I feel like um, I feel like I'm surrounded by people who love Paul Schrader. I actually like some of the some of the films that he has written. I, I, I thought First Reform is really interesting, but I also feel like he's always what he's talking about is often just beyond my grasp. Of like I. I want to be with you with what you're saying, but I, but, but I, but I find, I find him tricky. So he's somebody over the course of my life that I need to keep revisiting both him and the films that, it that, that inspire. And that's always interesting to watch this because I feel like watching that intro, his introduction to this helped me get a little bit more of like, Oh, that's what you're talking about. Um, 
so just one more criterion plug that's that uh, there, there's a lot of great uh great stuff on there and i'll be talking about a few other pieces um from there <clears throat> to to that the sort of the idea of of actors as models I, another way that he i think i'm getting this right that he described it is like what he wants is acting from the outside in and he says what mm-hmm. what the what 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 acting is is from the inside out mm-hmm. actors trying to push emotions out and he's like no 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 it's it, it, it you start with the exterior and and like and and as a viewer you'll find that internal i mean i think that's what he means by it and it definitely jumps out to you now one of the things that i was interested in um because people talk about how like flat the performances is and like and almost how off putting that is at first and I wonder if that plays more strongly if you're a French speaker, like because I, I, because I I'm reading all of what they're saying as I'm listening to it. So you know, in some ways, I feel like um, at least the line delivery. I wonder. I feel like sometimes that blankness is lost on me because I'm I'm not experiencing. I'm missing a piece of their performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that's that's an interesting point, Sam. Because in, in addition to the uh, the way that lines are delivered, another another element of Brasson is the way that he uses sound. So whether we're talking about sound with dialogue or we're talking about sound with ambient sound, lack of sound. I mean, there's parts of this film that are almost silent, and then the 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 music gets used sparingly, but then it happens several times towards the end to kind of punctuate moments. So. Um, not not necessarily in a, in a manipulative sense, but it kind of it kind of uses the music in a way that then uh, builds up to the final crescendo. So you actually begin to associate the music with an emotion, not so much with the actor's delivery or even the actor's face. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I thought it was interesting as I was thinking about this movie to tell a you know crime and punishment story or a Camus the Stranger story. Um, but to change the crime from murder to pickpocket theft, mm-hmm. which, you know, at, at first the crime seems almost too small for the potentially like weighty philosophical discourse. I mean, um, mm. part of what makes crime and punishment so interesting is you get is murder is a, is a, is a I mean, pickpocketing is a transgressive crime, but murder is is like the <laughs> the epitome of of this. And it's so interesting, you know, that it's like, well, this is something that's uh that's much smaller. But then as the, as I thought about it, it's actually pretty genius to do that, you know, to, um, to, to, to think this way. Um, so as we get into this, I, I guess I want to um, ask you a question. Have you ever been pickpocketed or, or, or robbed? Yes, I have. Okay. Um, I've been robbed. I've been robbed. I haven't been pickpocketed, but it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a pretty bold uh, robbery. I was actually, I spent a summer um, uh, selling ice cream from an ice cream truck. And I was in a particular neighborhood and um, a group of youth wanted to, I thought, buy ice cream. And they came up to the truck and one of them was admiring my watch. And I I held my hand out so the person could see my watch more closely. And the next thing they did was they ripped it off my wrist. Mm. <laughs> that, that's the only time I've been robbed. Well, that, and that's and, and but that's a perfect story in terms of the the like uh, it is a it is a crime against another person that. Involve. I mean, in this case, involves like physical contact, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something that happens at a distance. Um, I will say, I have almost been pickpocketed in Paris in a mm. in a metro station. Um, I was walking down the stairs. This was near the Orangerie, and um, 
I just, for some reason, I was, as I was walking down the stairs, I turned back and I noticed somebody right on me, right behind me. And I could sort of feel his hand <laughs> slip out of my pocket and, and not quite get, get to what he was, was trying to get at. Um, uh, so, and again, that, and I think about that moment. And when I think about that moment, I think about the, the physical contact of that moment and mm. how, how strange that was. And then, um, and I, there's a reason I'm, I'm telling the, the story. And, and, and then the other thing is, is I remember once my wife, um, had, this is when we lived in St. Paul had left her purse in the car and somebody had broken into our car and taken her purse. And we walked, and this was at our house. And we walked through the alleyway the next morning and found the, like, clearly the person had walked away going through it and was just throwing things away that weren't of value. And there is something so painful about like picking up baby pictures of your kids in an alleyway as mm-hmm. you're tracing the steps of somebody. Um, so, so it made me think about like that kind of, the kind of intimacy of, of even the small nature of this crime. And I thought about all of those wallets and purses you see get thrown away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at a, at a certain point it's like, take the money. Like that's the stuff that I want, you know, like, like if I have to lose something. Um, so, it, so it made me, it made me think about that as, you know, as the, as the, the crime that this movie is sort of circling on. Well, you know, I also want to go back to what you were saying about, you know, this, it's uh, inspired by Dostoevsky, but uh, has a very different kind of um, crime at the, at the heart of it. Um, when I taught this film in the past, I paired it with a very different film, Samuel Fuller's uh, Pickup on South Street, uh, which I, which I would re- I recommend to our listeners. It's a wonderful noir from 1953 um, completely different film stylistically from what Brisson is doing. But I mention it because um, supposedly, and Schrader says this in his introduction, supposedly um, Brisson was inspired to make Pickpocket based on having seen Fuller's film. Um, I haven't seen anybody else say that, but I wonder about that because I think the prologue to this film is really interesting because um, Brisson says the style of this film is not that of a thriller. So it's almost as though he's thinking, okay, maybe you just watch this American film by a pickpocket, not what you're going to see here. And then the next sentence is there's an interesting to me too, in terms of what we were saying about acting in this film. He says, using image and sound, right? So what, what he does with his actors is he really kind of is stressing the actor is an image. Um, I, I mean, the, 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 the religious connection I would make with what he's trying to do with his models is iconography, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that the, the, the icon is... Um, is an external image that drives you to think about the the transcendent. So it says using image and sound, the filmmaker strives to express the nightmare of a young man whose weaknesses lead him to commit acts of theft for which nothing destined him. Uh, However, this adventure and the strange paths it takes brings together two souls that may otherwise never have met. I mean, so, so this is an odd thing, right? Why does he tell us his whole plot before we've even watched the film? Because he doesn't care about the plot. Right. He cares about the revelation of soul, if, the, if it is possible for a film to, to, to reveal that. And so I think that's right away. He wants to tell the audience this is not about about thrills. It's not about suspense. Although, to be fair, Christopher Nolan did watch this film uh, as a way to help th- figure out how to build up suspense in Dunkirk, of all things. But anyway, he's telling you it's not about the plot. It's not about the characters. It's about something else. It's about the journey of souls. And that's hard to show on film. Yeah, I was actually curious about that. That um, I don't even know what you call it because it comes before even 
even the first credit on the screen. And I was wondering, like, is that a Brisson? That's so that is a Brisson thing. He well, I that's a good question, Sam. I'm assuming it is. I have not read otherwise, but I, I couldn't find anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because I was I mean that that also felt like potentially a note of somebody saying like you gotta you gotta let people know what they're what they're about to see here. But I don't. But that doesn't I mean he's not in working like in a studio system kind of things where, where that note would matter, would it? Right. Exactly. Right. That's the only reason I assume it's him, because, you know, the other thing we should say about Brisson is that he was a great inspiration to the new wave. Um, not well, you know, in a sense, you could say a little bit of stylistically in terms of the fact that he's dealing with everyday life. And this is 59 and then 60 is breathless. And you can kind of see you can kind of see some similarities there. Um, but uh, but I think the main way in which he is influenced on the new waves is that he is kind of the ultimate auteur. Um, very interesting. His, his stats are almost the same as Stanley Kubrick's. He makes 13 films in 40 years. So very much a Kubrickian kind of artist, similar to Dreyer as well. Uh, but Godard said, um, uh, Godard said Brisson is the French cinema, as Dostoevsky is the Russian novel and Mozart is German music. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so as I'm thinking about, about theft, uh, I, and, and it's interesting, and I'm also interested in like the, the sort of Superman argument that, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, that Michelle makes, um, I always, I mean, this is the tricky part with whether you're reading, um, you know, Dostoevsky, whether you're, uh, you know, looking at a, a Leopold and Loeb type story or Camus or something like that is like, that's a hard argument to swallow when it comes to murder. I, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and, and it, but it, and it's interesting to think about that argument with theft because there's constantly people saying like the, the officers constantly saying to Michelle is like, how is a pickpocket ultimately like this benefit to society, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, but then I think about it and I, and, and I think like something like theft is actually, uh, whether it's a small scale or large scale transition, it's something that we justify in, in little ways uh, in our life. I mean, way more so than, I mean, I guess you could make the argument we justify murder at a distance as well um, Mm -hmm. through oppression. But um, there's all kinds of times when we make these transgressions as if sort of, well, rules don't apply in this situation or, you know, or, or things like that. Um, And then on, you know, large scale things, I was thinking about, you know, large scale theft, like, you know, major white collar crime and things like that. Um, And although the Superman argument is not articulated there, it's definitely acted upon in that way. Like, you know, that, that for some reason, this is okay. Uh, A a person can just can make that argument to justify that to them, to themselves. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I just, I found I, that, and this, this is getting back to sort of thinking about um, finding theft as an interesting thing. Where if I start to think about it, it's like, well, we actually do see people justify equivalent type things all of the time, or at least, again, at least justify it to themselves to the point where they, where they will continue to do that. Well, it's it, it's really raising questions about on what basis do you make judgments? You know, um, there's a there's a brief about people, uh, their lives. There's a brief conversation with Jean, him and Jean, Jean after his mother has died. And, you know, she says, you know, she'll, you know, she was a pure soul. She'll be fine. And he says, you know, so what basis is, is, she, is she judged? You know, what basis of what laws? So in a sense, I think he, he he's raising, um, he's kind of, he's raising some fairly 
significant kind of almost existential questions about what does it mean to be to be good? What does it mean to be law abiding? What what laws should one have to obey? Why does one obey them? And so I you know I think that's that's the ultimate Dostoevskyan uh, exploration, right? And uh, um, and he's he's kind of pushing those boundaries because in a sense as as Bersant suggests at the beginning, he's he's kind of rudderless. He doesn't really know wh- who he is or what he wants to do, and so it's like he's almost lashing out to try to figure out are there are there limits or not. Um, I, I'm going to make a really strange connection. I think that it makes me think of our first film, Groundhog Day, hmm. um, and Bill Murray, you know, discovers that he he actually needs laws. He actually needs rules in order to bring meaning to his life. And so Michel is one of these kind of classic French existentialists who doesn't really see, he doesn't really know what the meaning of his life is. And that's why he's compelled into these, um, into these acts that they're almost against his nature, but he's not sure what his, what his, what his nature is. Um, and, and he also is clearly, even though one psychologizes Brisson at one's, um, at one's peril, but there is a kind of a classic Freudian conflict here, right? Where, he, he wants to do these crimes, but he also wants to be caught. And it's almost like he's, he's frustrated that people won't say that they suspect him of this, of this crime. So he's kind of trying to deal with this existential crisis and kind of using uh, pickpocketing as, as, a, as a way to do that. That's interesting. So, so one of the questions that I had, and, and, and most of this is going to boil down to um, questions that I find interesting in this, in, 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 in this movie. And I have, you know, I wrote a bunch of answers, but I don't know how I feel about any of them. But like, what do you see as his motivations, his draw to pickpocketing in particular? Because what's interesting is, so the first, when I, the first time I watched the movie, it didn't occur to me that what we see at the um, racetrack is maybe his first attempt at this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which, which later on you realize you start to put the, the timetable together. And I thought, well, it's so interesting too, to be, you know, robbing, having your, well, what is really his second robbing maybe, you know, at, uh, at, at a racetrack, because you could maybe justify to oneself, well, you know, our, our, is money, you know, gained through gambling? Is that, is that really like earned money? And if somebody can afford to gamble, can they afford to lose? And so is not being here a gamble. Like, like, like I find, I find that really interesting. I mean, again, the movie doesn't say anything about that, but I was thinking about, you know, sort of setting that there. Um, but what do you see as his draw to pickpocketing in particular? I I understand his draw later on when he's um, when he meets uh, the unnamed uh, Kasagi character. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of beauty and art to it. But 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 what do you think is the initial draw to that? I think the fact that well, I can answer that in two ways. Um, the one obvious way to answer it would be to say that. We know that perhaps out of a sense of need, he's stolen from his mother. So we know that he has, he's acquainted with stealing. We also can assume that he has a tremendous sense of guilt over that, which is why he won't go visit her. Right. So that's kind of, that that in a sense is kind of classic film um, ellipsis, right? You know, uh, Brisson wants you to kind of fill in fill in the gaps on that, but. And I'm going to say the second thing. I I, I actually don't think that Brisson is offering us a reason for his compulsion. I think that that's where Brisson is almost anti-psychological because, you know, you and I have had this conversation uh, in the past, Sam, about love. 
And why do people fall in love? Why do people not fall in love? And what seems to you like a plausible love story? I mean, I think Brisson is saying, I'm not sure anybody can plumb the mystery or explain or uh, justify or kind of explain away why people have compulsions. People have compulsions. That's why, that's the way they are. And it's, it's, um, it's uh, problematic for us to think that we can create a backstory to explain why that is, because it's sort of a mystery of human nature. So let's just deal with a compulsion and then see where having that compulsion leads him. At least that's what that's what I think is going on. I don't get think I don't think there's an explanation for the compulsion because that is a fundamental mystery of human nature. Mm-hmm. Well, and and that makes sense where he starts the movie just doing it like like yeah. you know. And again, you can't tell whether this is a something he has done many times uh, until you know until later, and you know and potentially. Uh, the the theft from his mother crosses some kind of you know moral Rubicon for him, and maybe that's what leaves him rudderless to a certain degree. Uh, but maybe he was already rudderless in terms. I mean, maybe that that's casting off one more potential rudder. You know, once you because it's it, um it's brought up later by Jacques and I think about and 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 Jean about like how could somebody do that? How could somebody steal from a friend? You know, or or from from your mother? So. You know, he's somebody who's already kind of cut off the potential branch of that, um, you know, of 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 that kind of system, moral system of, of saying that. Um, so we see but, him. But, try- but, but here's the kicker. I, I got to But here's the kicker, um, Sam. What difference would it make if you could identify some kind of cause for his compulsion? And this this goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you psychologize it then you would posit that some kind of psychotherapy would somehow cure him or heal Mm -hmm. him. And Brisson doesn't want to go that direction. This is where the transcendental filmmaker comes in. Brisson wants to go to a very different kind of answer. Um, And and even though Schrader says the transcendental film isn't always about content, I think it is. So I think that you, you can't have the ending in this film if you set it up in terms of here is a Here's a deep psychological conflict that needs to be resolved. Again, it's more, here's a mystery of a soul that doesn't know its proper path. And how do we get the soul back onto that path? And so that's why I think Brisson wants to leave that kind of psychologizing out of it. Well, and I think I think what, what makes that interesting, too, is that we don't see him do anything with the money that he steals. Right. Like, like, like it's not... There is no sense of like, well, I need this because I'm trying to set myself up for this thing that I'm going to do. He doesn't, I mean, he lives a, you know, almost ascetic life in that room, um, you know, and 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 the things he steals just go into, the, you know, this little hole in the wall. So, so it's not even like he's kind of living high off of this, which makes it interesting that, you know, you talked about the things he doesn't show. Um, that later in the film, when Michelle goes away and talks about being in Milan and Rome and London, mm-hmm. he talks about wasting his money on, you know, on gambling and women. And you're like, that doesn't even feel like that doesn't feel like the Michelle we saw at all. Mm-hmm. I find that I, I found that really fascinating because if you saw if if you, if that's what you saw earlier, you would think, well, okay, well, he's doing this to support this other vice. Um, but here, the thing the the thing is potentially just the something about the theft or something yeah 
Yeah, yeah, right. It, it tells you it's actually not about earning a living. It's not about achieving some kind of status or comfort. It's about it's about following a compulsion in his soul that he doesn't know why he's following it, and and basically discovering that that's that that committing the act is not necessarily about achieving an end. It's just it's just committing the act. Um, and that's, that's not, I mean, you know, Brisson has cut out an entire half hour, 45 minutes, because that's not what he's interested in. Ultimately, that's not what Michelle is interested in. Well, and, and thinking about compulsions and, and things that are difficult to explain, it makes me think of M where you get another big speech about, you know, about, about compulsions. And I mean, it's a very different story and a very, you know, we don't get that scene here. Um, but, uh, but that's another movie where there, it, there are things which which are are difficult to explain, and that the director excised the things that could potentially explain it. And maybe maybe now is the time to mention the original title of the film, which was Uncertainty. Ah, that's uh, so, interesting. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, I, I, uh, one of the extras showed a copy of the script with Uncertainty, or in French, Incertitude, as the title crossed out and pickpocket written above. Do you think that Mich? <sighs> I want to circle back to Superman for a second here. Do you think Michelle thinks that is that just an idea he's trying on? And again, I realize I realize Brisson doesn't tell us these things, but 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 I, I'm asking Barrett this maybe, and 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 I'm it's okay if your answer is that's not an important question. That's fine. <laughs> but do you think he thinks he is a Superman? Do you think he thinks he could become one? Do you, do you think he thinks that at all? I, like like I find that argument so weird and interesting and it's something that that circles back in you know in literature and film and things like that so i'm curious about michelle's draw to that well or is that know, just grasping at at trying to explain yeah, something yeah you're you know you're asking me to psychologize him and person would probably slap me for doing that right then um, don't it's okay to say no to that no 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 I, but i want to i want to say something about it because i don't think he's a raskolnikov okay and i think you know, Raskolnikov in Crime and Punishment, I think he really believes his theory. I mean, he's constructed this theory and he is now going to act on it in order to see whether or not it's a genuine theory, whether it actually is true and whether he is a Superman. So I, I think so. I don't think that Brisson is uh, setting Michelle up in quite the same way. I think it works the other way. I think Michelle is doing this and now he's and now he's sort of searching for some kind of a justification. So I think I think the the causality is almost the reverse of what you see with Raskolnikov. So I don't I don't I don't think I I I, I it may be a kind of post hoc justification, but it's a weak one. I think ultimately he's going to do what he's going to do. Right, right. Um, what do you think of the character of Jacques? I, I there, there's a number of characters that I find fascinating, and Jacques is one. I, um, why are they friends? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, before we talk about the character of Jacques, I have to tell you there's a, there's a certain kind of irony here that um, the actor who played Michelle actually went on to become an, an actual actor. He he went to New York and studied with Lee Strasberg's act, actor studio, and he acted in about seventy films. Hmm. And then uh, Marika Green, who is actually the aunt of Eva Green, um, she becomes an actual actress. Uh, but the, the guy that plays, uh, plays Jacques, that's it. He's, uh, he went on to become some kind of, uh, professor of some science. Um, yeah. Why are they friends? Um, well, first of all, 
to skip to the end, there is an irony, right? That that he that he ends up with together with Jean, and then it kind of abandons her and the and the baby. So maybe he's not such a great guy after all. But yeah, um, opposites attract. I, I I don't know. Or maybe this is he really isn't the solid guy. He looks like he is at the beginning. Well, it's interesting because you know where, where I don't know what Michelle's aspirations are. He doesn't seem to have them. Like I, I was wondering, like you know, it's interesting when when Jacques at the first time we meet him and he's giving Michelle a lead on a job, he seems to have pretty like low end bourgeois expect or aspirations you know like yeah this will get you a new suit and a new tie and you know and it's it, i mean he he creates a, an interesting counterpoint for for michelle to sort of push back against and maybe you know maybe jacques is actually drawn to um flirting with some of michelle's the ideas michelle wants to talk about without actually living them or something it's a it's a very strange relationship, to be frank. I mean, I and, and I and I wonder if he's if Jacques is interested in Michelle as much because it's a way to get together with Jean at the same time. So yeah. Um, and I think he's so. I think Jacques is so interesting compared to. I'm just going to call him Kasagi because he doesn't have a name, but he's such a he's an he's such an interesting part of this movie. Um, because where where. The relationship between Jacques and Michelle, we see more of that, but it's it's a little hard to figure out. Like it's clear why Michelle is drawn to to Kasagi. I mean, he is he is a master of an art form, and I mean, and and we should say Kasagi was an actual pickpocket, master pickpocket, and because of this movie, basically had to stop because <laughs> he became too recognizable. Um, but he's a master of his art form, and he's willing to teach and partner with him. Um, and, uh, so, so, I mean, so, so that draw makes sense and it sets up some of the, some of the great scenes of this movie, you know, in the middle of this movie, the, the actual pickpocketing stuff is, is balletic to watch, um, especially the train station scene. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Sam, because we, you know, we, we haven't spent, we, we've talked about a little bit about Brisson being anti-cinematic, but we really haven't talked a lot about his camera work and, the uh, the first time he and he and Kasagi um, team up, I, I actually backed it up and watched it a couple more times and kept freezing the frame when they um, pickpocket the guy to getting in, getting into the taxi to try to figure out exactly what angle we're looking at, exactly what's happening. It is it's really kind of bravura filmmaking, and so even though you know I said Brisson is anti cinematic, it doesn't mean he doesn't know how to use the tools of cinema uh, really expertly, uh, and certainly that long complex uh guard de leon scene uh with uh where there's three of them working together um one one critic i would compared it to the hunting scene in rules of the game uh mm. it's almost like it's this it's a scene that sort of expresses everything that's going on in in the in the in this world in fact i can't remember exactly at what point michelle says this but one point in the film michelle says every, perhaps everybody has a reason which reminds us of that famous line, line of rules of the game. So there's a sense in which I think there's a very sly reference on Brisson's part to that game. And the game in Renoir is a very different game, but this is a similar game. And this is the game of uh, the, the pickpocket game. And so what happens is you end up, um, at least I do, you end up suspending any judgment, right? It's just like you're watching an amazing tour de force of, of skill and you aren't even thinking anymore about 
the poor i'm not thinking about the poor people being victimized i'm thinking about the amazing slate of hand that the pickpockets are are creating and so i think that's a way in which brisson kind of draws you in to identify with michel even though he's doing something that you know we obviously disapprove of well and and, and there's a couple of things he does with the 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 camera to help us with that i mean for one thing he um when we're actually doing the pickpocketing we're often not see i mean it's a movie where you see faces a lot you're often not seeing faces and mm-hmm. it, it's almost like those bodies become objects that they're that they're manipulating right. which is maybe the way that they need to think about it the other thing uh in terms of filmmaking in in the the train station scene in particular and <clears throat> i don't know that he does this in other parts of the film but we definitely get what i presume are michelle point of view shots because mm-hmm. there are these great shots of the camera following a person and then somebody else coming into frame and it's like you're watching michelle size things up and he switches from following one person to another um you know so 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 you're watching him sized up potential um i was gonna use the word clients why you guess you don't pickpocket from targets uh so and and i just thought like that would like there is just some great uh kind of long shots of moving through that station picking up faces dropping them picking them back up as they're as they're moving along and we see the the uh, the police that we're going to see later we see walking through there um mm-hmm. it's also interesting to clock faces in this movie cuz you'll notice certain people come back mm-hmm. from from you know that they're in this train scene but then they're also in this other train and they're not characters they're just like oh this isn't but I mean, you could you could read that in two ways. You could read that as he had a certain certain set of extras that he was working with, but that also kind of matches life. If you're if you're somebody who rides trains or buses or things like that, there are people you've never talked to that you come to recognize because well, they ride this same train roughly when I ride this train or when I ride this bus. Mm-hmm. So there's something really interesting. There are a couple faces where I'm like, that person's back again. So I start to track them, and then I realize that person's got nothing to do with this movie. I think that's kind of great. <laughs> Um, did you on the Criterion uh, channel? Did you watch? There's a little um, Kasagi clip. No, I didn't see that. This actually okay. So it, so as I said, you know, after he becomes famous enough after this that it's he can't pick pockets anymore. So he ends up being a performer on like variety. He's a, basically a magician, right? Mm-hmm. Sleight of hand. And there's this. You should watch this. There's this great clip of him on some kind of variety show where he's doing. First, he's doing kind of sleight of hand stuff, and then he starts to bring people up on stage to help him, you know, to help him with things. And the thing you don't realize is as he's doing it, he is stripping them clean of their watches and wallets. And then at the end, he starts to hand them back. Um, And what I realized was Brisson actually needs to slow all of this stuff down because in reality, what Mm. they do is because there is like an, an, an unreality about watching some of that stuff where it's like, why are they taking so long to hold this wallet for a second and then drop mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm, and it's like, well, mm-hmm. that's, that's the movie part. Like, it's like, if, if they did it as fast as they actually do it, you wouldn't see a thing. Mm-hmm. Cause when you watch this clip, even if you know, he's doing it, you can't tell. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden he starts pulling out their watches and wallets. Um, so I found that really interesting that there is almost this sense of like, you know, he doesn't use slow motion, but it's like his actors do slow motion as they're doing this because he wants you to see what they're doing, even though these things would be so unseen. 
Okay, what's really interesting about that, Sam, maybe this is a silly observation, but it's interesting to me that if you do that to people uh, in the metro, you are committing a crime, but if you do it on stage, you are providing entertainment. So it's just, that's just, you know, context means a lot, right? So So maybe a a, a TV camera makes you a Superman and all of a sudden things that, things that are not allowed here are allowed here, you know? I mean, that, that, that's essentially the argument people make with like American football, right? If you did that sure. on the street, you'd be arrested. If you do it on the field, we'll pay you that's millions right. of dollars. Exactly yes. Right. yes. Yeah. Um, so I asked you, what do you, what do you make of Jacques? I'm going to ask you, what do you make of Jean? And, uh, and sort of the, the, the role she plays in here, what draws her to Michelle and to rejecting Jacques? Again, these are things that, he doesn't tell us and maybe these are right, elemental right. things that we're not supposed to yeah well you supposed know, to have answers to but i think we're allowed to think about them oh right? yeah i think so too no i mean plot wise um uh she's 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 obviously sonia from crime and punishment and so you know she's a figure of um she's a figure of conscience i guess you could say uh obviously she's sort of a redemptive figure at, at the end um but why she's drawn to Michelle, I think that that's back to that mystery of motivation or mystery of love. Who knows why one person loves and loves another person? Um, it, 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 it isn't even that, that it's pity. It's more that somehow she sees some good in him that he can't even see himself at the time. Um, I also found the the I love little moments in this movie when when he goes and talks with her after he finds out about the complaint that was uh, leveled against him and then withdrawn. um, And, and he says to her, he basically points out to her all of the sort of aspects of conventional life that she just accepts. Mm -hmm. You know, she says, you know, you accept a drunken father and a mother who, Mm -hmm. who walks out on you and and her responses that maybe things happen, maybe things happen for a reason. And he says, you know, are you really that naive that it's like, Mm -hmm. like, like, Basically, she is somebody for whom life is happening to her, and he's, and you know, maybe that's part of the draw too. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, um, we don't see them discussing big ideas in other parts, but we also don't see when uh, Jacques and Michelle and Jean go out. Like, what do they talk about? What do they, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what do they do? Um, so, so towards the end of this movie, right, we get this. I think it's a two-year leap, right, when he, that yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Um, and then he returns to Paris, you know, penniless and wandering. Um, and he goes to visit Jean and Jean has the baby that she had with Jacques. Um, and he pledges his support to Jean and the baby. Um, and we see him actually go get a real job with the pay envelope. And he gives yeah. that money, gives that money to Jean. Um, but then we also see him drawn back into the allure of of pickpocketing which is um if you've read you, you could read any dostoevsky and this is a this is a thing that that happens to so many of his characters there is the um person who is in sort of some pit of despair or vice or usually it's usually it's drinking with dostoevsky and um uh, and they sort of pull themselves out and they do this noble thing and make this noble pledge. And then we watch them, you know, the moment that they seem like you've made it, that they collapse again. Right. And and we get this um, as he's, uh, you know, as he's drawn back to the racetrack and back to one last pickpocket. 
Yeah, and that's and that's because I mean I can't help but see that through my particular um, religious lens, right? Uh, and that's because he hasn't experienced a true a true sense of a true moment of redemption. Um, you know that doing the right thing for her that's noble, but that's not enough. He, there has there has to be some kind of deeper transformation within his his soul and and there's also a sense that he has to go back to the racetrack you know it's a it's a beautiful circular structure right the film ends where it begins and and he has to uh, in a sense um he has to undermine himself in the same way that he tries to get the police to question him to arrest him he goes he goes into this knowing there's something fishy about this guy but i'm going to pick his pocket anyway so it's almost as though he knows he's setting himself up because he still hasn't been punished. So doing something good for Jean is one thing, but he hasn't been punished. He hasn't really come to terms with his own crime. And that's still what has to happen. So the film could have stopped before this, but his journey wouldn't have been over with. Sure. So then what do you make of the ending? I mean, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to clear out some space for you and Paul Schrader here to, uh, to talk about this ending. I watched the, this, the Schrader video is actually really helpful for thinking about um, some of the things that you're, that you're talking about because, or that, that, that he and you are talking about in terms of this kind of um, transcendent moment and the filmmaking being the thing that, that is, um, leading up to a particular almost formal moment, uh, but also I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some 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 room here to talk about this. Well, you know, I, mean, I think one one thing I'll say about that final moment or the the well, it, it's preceded by a three week absence. Uh, she has stayed away for three weeks, and he starts to despair uh, that she hasn't visited him, and so that's part of what is is drawing him to her because he realizes how much he's come to depend on her. Um, when she come, when she does come to visit, and they have that moment looking at each other through the bars, um, it's really interesting because the voiceover says that her something about her her face was lit up with a with a, some kind of a light, but Brisson doesn't do it cinematically. He doesn't he doesn't change the lighting at all. So I think that's the first signal to tell you that something is happening in an interior way, but you can't. Well, I can't show you that with a camera trick over the cinematic um, convention. You just have to believe that something is being perceived that is almost beyond beyond perception. And then, of course, the final line on Jean-Yu, to reach you at last, what a strange path I had to take. Um, it's a very kind of, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, either, it's either Nietzsche or Pascal or both are credited with saying that we don't understand life uh, forward, we understand it backwards. And so it's this, it's this retrospective view, and it's it's a it's it's really I think it's the classic moment of some kind of a conversion. And you know you can argue that it's a religious conversion. You can argue it's a different kind of conversion, but it's a conversion where uh, he looks back over his history, and suddenly everything that has brought him to that moment kind of falls into place, and he understands why he's come to where he has. And it's not psychologized but it's more in terms of oh now the destination it's it's almost a, a t.s Eliot moment he comes to he comes to his the place where he started and knows it for the first time um and i think he's just he, uh brisson is packing all of that into that into that one line um i love that uh and i that's actually part of my read of a different Dostoevsky novel, which is the brothers Karamazov. I remember writing a paper in college mm -hmm. about this. Um, and I, and I really do feel like there is this sense that 
Dostoevsky wants one particular moment at the end of that book. And, but to get there, he has to write 700 pages of all this <laughs> other stuff <laughs> in order to earn that moment or, or in order to create an opportunity for not to earn it, but for the person taking in this piece of art to maybe recognize it. Yeah. Or if you just showed that moment, it wouldn't like, if you, sh- if you showed that out of context, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have the potential power that it, um, the potential power that it has. Now, one thing I'm curious about, does Brisson talk about this stuff or is this people like Paul Schrader saying, this is what Brisson is up to? Cause Brisson yeah, writes a yeah. lot. Yeah, Br- Br- yeah, Brisson talks a lot about his theory of the cinema, or you might call it his theory of the anti-cinema, but he was very closed about his particular beliefs. And so he spends sometimes been called a Christian atheist. Uh, there are other people who say, no, he was a person of faith, but Brisson was never, from what I can tell, explicit about that himself. I mean, even like the the sort of transcendental <laughs> cinema right, thing right. That, that Schrader's talking about, like, like is that... Is that Schrader being the uh, the the prophet of Brisson, or 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 is that? Can you tap into Brisson and really get that, or or do you get the question I'm asking? Yeah, well, no, I I I, <laughs> I I I like Schrader's argument, but there are plenty of Brisson scholars that don't buy it. Um, you can you can find Brisson scholars saying, you know, this is what Paul Schrader thinks is going on. We don't think that's what's happening at all. So it seems a very appropriate to me. It's very Brissonian that people should have different responses to the films in those terms, because that's exactly what Brisson was trying to accomplish with his, with his models or his interpreters. He wanted us to, he wanted us to be able to project onto them. So let me ask you this question. This movie opens with Michel writing, and mm-hmm. then we see him writing this story that we're watching. What is he writing? Well, he's writing, he's writing in his journal, right? So I'm assuming it's a prison journal. Okay. That would be my assumption. Okay, because I was wondering, like, is he writing a confession? Is he writing? I mean, yeah, well, he is writing yeah, a kind yeah, of confession. Yeah, it could be his confession because he does tell Gene at one point that he's going to confess and then take it all back. Yeah. Yeah, yes. and I don't know if that's still his plan or not, but that could be why he's writing that. Down. Well, and the reason I ask the confession part, because he actually says, I have confessed everything and I'll take it all back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I'm wondering is, is he writing that moment at the end or is that or or not yeah that's a good question you know like 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 because because i was trying to figure out like in the the linear because time is still linear even if i i think i've heard that same quote from kierkegaard that life uh can only be lived forward understood backwards that so like like is this where does this fall in the forward motion of that i just i just found that um found that that interesting um one other thing Criterion had a uh, a little video essay about Brisson about doors. Did you watch that? It's like a five no, minute thing. It's really interesting. I don't know. It's it's it, it's about his whole filmography. So like I don't know that, but I was interested in doors in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, this is a motif throughout Brisson, at least according to this one filmmaker. But it was interesting how often we see him in his room, and that there are these certain moments where he locks his door. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think there's three times when his door is locked. Otherwise, it's open. It's locked the two times he's practicing pick, or oh, four times, two, two times he's practicing pickpocketing. We see him either lock the door or unlock it when he's done. When he goes to his, to check his stash to see if it's still there. Mm-hmm. And then when he's talking with the, um, 
police officer in his room when he go when his police officer in his room he he locks the door there um but other than that the door is the door is open um and i found that in, I, like i don't know it, i don't have a theory about that or anything but i found that very interesting is like um because it because i was i was interested in how like the nature of the room that he lives in and it's unlocked nature and then the moments when he consciously locks them and when we because we see it is mm-hmm. is interesting again no big theory on that but that, that that's the next thing that i want to like i said i keep thinking about this movie and it was it was something that just jumped out at me as um as something that we we consciously see mm-hmm. so do you have other things you want to talk about with this movie i just want to say one one thing that i find curious in this film is that at one point when they talk about prison early in the film he says you don't know how horrible it is and it just makes me wonder if he's got a history with imprisonment, but I, but I, but I don't know. Well, it's interesting because Jacques' response is, "I can imagine," and he says, "No, you can't." Yes, yeah, so I, that's really interesting to me. But we get no more of that. Um, I just want to say a couple things about other filmmakers and uh, Brisson's influence. First of all, we came to this film because Juan Carwai uh, was a great admirer, and that was sort of an inspiration for *In the Mood for Love*. Although they're very different films, um, I have to go back to Chantal Ackerman and say that in some ways you can see the influence of pickpocket in terms of she is anti-cinematic in some ways mm-hmm. that you and I uh, talked about. Uh, and of course, we haven't mentioned uh, Werner Herzog in a while. Um, Herzog said about this film that it was so intense and so beautiful, it makes you ache. Uh, the final connection I want to make is um, there's a later Brisson film from 71 or 72, Lancelot of the Lake, that is parodied by Monty Python's Holy Grail. Hmm. So uh, all the shots of uh, of the feet in Lance and, and Holy Grail of the knights as they march along. Once you start, it makes it a little hard for me to watch Lancelot of the Lake because I keep reminding me of the Holy Grail. <laughs> well, Barrett, I like I said, I went on a journey with this movie. My my, I was I went from being underwhelmed to again. I this is a movie that I think is kind of amazing and. There's so much to so much to think about, um, and I and I'm still on a journey with Paul Schrader, you know. Um, <laughs> but but I will say again, this movie helped me get a little bit closer to what he's talking about mm-hmm. because I can see it in this uh, pretty clearly. It makes you want to go back and watch First Reformed again, mm-hmm. and and just and 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 experience that and and think about think about some of those ideas. Uh, what do you have for us for next week? Well, I'm going to go back to um, uh, working on the Sight and Sound Top 10 to visit films that we haven't seen in that Top 10. So very different film next week. We'll do uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Ooh, I cannot wait. I'm always excited to talk about Lynch with you in particular. Um, I revisited this movie, I think, last uh, this maybe this past summer. Um, Mm. And this is a really, a really great, a really interesting one. I can't wait. Barrett, thank you so much for recommending uh, Pickpocket and for having this conversation and and sort of setting me on this journey. It was uh, it, it's 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 well worth. It's I would say it's if you haven't seen it, it's well worth the work. It's well worth the the work you put in reading about it too, and 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 sort of and and putting in the time to think about it. So thank you so much for having this conversation. That's all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to watch Mulholland Drive in the video store. Mm-hmm.